In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 257. That's right, July Books. We're talking Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps Rebirth Special and number one, as well as Green Lanterns number two and number three. We don't really have any preamble for you guys, we're just going to get right into it. So, uh, Mark, you want to take the Rebirth Special? Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps Rebirth Special. I do like the the uh, Van Skyver cover. That one's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so the issue pretty much... We pretty much begin in Space Sector Zero. And in Space Sector Zero, where, of course, OWL used to be. Now, of course, War World is kind of like... Just parked itself right in that spot. Because Old Man Sinestro, and he looks like Old Man Sinestro, <laughs> has pretty much given... That was his command. Uh, we find out, I think, in this issue, actually... Also, that you know, the main reason Warworld was able to get here as quickly as it did and, rechar- and replenish all his energy supply and everything else was thanks to Parallax, since he doesn't need to be in New Corridor anymore. Um, we have Lessa and, pa- and Sinestro are kind of talking, and Sinestro is kind of like uh, making making a point of how I kind of the irony of us being called Warworld now because there's really not a war. You know, kind of it kind of suggests that anybody who's an at that. Even if there is an adversary out, you know, against against the core, his core, they don't have a chance to win. So then, you know, it's, so there really isn't a war. The war is won, and you know, pretty much, you know, Sinestro kind of he kind of goes on about, you know, there's still no signs of the Green Lanterns. Now his ego kind of comes out a little bit too, making it sound like, oh, maybe they, you know, maybe they just. Or Alyssa kind of says it at first. That maybe maybe they just fled because of your magnificence, when they kind of both know that's really not what happened. But Sinestro kind of buys into it a little bit by going, well, maybe whether they abandoned their posts a bit more or less, they were taken away. Which he kind of again, he knows they were taken, or else he wouldn't have been able to save Sorenic. Uh But he, they just kind of have this kind of conversation about. How they've triumphed, but still, you know, Sinestro is clearly the battle with the Pale Bishop has definitely really, really done a number. The Pale Vicar and the Pale, they really have done a number on Sinestro. He looks a hell of a lot older and more decrepit than he did the last time we saw him at the end of his book. And you know, basically, Sinestro is unhappy about it. And he, he's he's kind of seeking a solution, or we get the impression that he is. We cut to Sector Five Six Three. And this is when Hal Jordan actually first shows up in his own book. Hal still kind of, kind of got the uh, construct glow about him. He's still losing himself, or trying not to entirely lose himself, but he's struggling with that fight that we saw at the end of the last Green Lantern series. This kind of opens the door for 
for to bring readers up to snuff about what happened with Hal Jordan, about brief his a brief revamp or revisit of his origin, uh, mem- uh, the rehash of who the Green Lantern Corps is, how he got the gauntlet, why he got the gauntlet to renegade, and then he kind of mentions you know Kilowatt. Basically, you get the whole Green Lanterns of Earth kind of run down too, along with. Uh, the Guardians. They actually show the Templar Guardians, which is kind of funny, because other than that, they don't show up in this book. Um, so, how pretty much he... What would you say? He, cre- he creates like an energy construct piece of ore, essentially? Uh, either that or infuses ground from his general vicinity with willpower, or creates a an actual, con- uh, like, you know, because remember they used to be able to create permanent constructs? True. So maybe maybe that's not entirely gone, and that's what he's done. He's made a solid piece of will. Yes, he made it basically into raw ore, which he, he also creates an energy construct, hammer, and anvil. And yes, the actual piece of ore is a darker green, so there obviously is, we're supposed to believe it means some, it's, it's a little more significant, and that's how it kind of, we as this issue goes on, we realize that you know Hal is kind of taking willpower, at least for him, to another to another level. So Hal can ha- hammers this ore between the hammer and the anvil. As he does this, and it's a really nice double splash page there. A nice little parallax saying too, and Hal, you know, once he gets done doing this, you know, it's like I'll make everything right. Always got to be a little leery when you hear Hal Jordan say that. So he, as he smashes the ore the first time, literally this reverberates throughout the universe and more than just our universe, because even the Green Lantern Corps, which has yet, has yet to f- make their arrival back into our universe again, they feel it. Kyle Rayner feels it wherever he is as a White Lantern. Ganthet and Sage show up, and they feel it along with Jessica Cruz. I'm not really buying how Jessica would necessarily feel it, but I guess when it's such such a such a big you know, imprint in the spectrum of will that I guess it would possibly make sense that you know, it's hard to not to detect it pretty much. Um, so, so you know, Gan- Ganthet is kind of like, uh, Ganthet feels it more than Sade, which is kind of maybe not surprising, but a little interesting. She has no idea what's going on, what troubles you, and he just says, you know, the spectrum, you know, the spectrum of will, it tremors. Kyle may not know exactly what's going on, but he knows it's not good. Uh, Jessica, Jessica just screams. Meanwhile, in war, we go back to War World, where Sinestro is, is walking down the steps, I guess, towards the, the the inner part of War World, and he senses the tremors too. Uh, he somehow, he, you know, he knows that uh, thing, you know, think he's re- he's running out of time, pretty much. Sinestro's got to do something for him, and we find out that this is where the Parallax entity is kept prisoner right now. I kind of I kind of like that cell. I kind of like that translucent cell, the way he's kind of like this. Like big parallax, kind of in a little box almost. It's like this. I mean, it, it is relatively big at the heart of War World, but still, for 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 parallax, it kind of looks like it's definitely not a big enough to be somewhat comfortable. Sinestro comes to him and he and he basically uh, tells him he's done well for you know for for fueling up War World and you know and helping cut down their enemies and restoring the energy reserves and everything else. And he goes, "I have one last request that I ask of you. Everything." <laughs> Oh, that's Sinestro. Meanwhile, Hal continues to hammer, you know, the ore with, uh, with his hammer, and now we we see Indigo One, Lord Fleas, and Carol Ferris. They all they all fear the tremor in the emotional spectrum. Um, so at the end of the at the end of the day, Hal pretty much gets 
gets done hammering, and he somehow has made a Green Lantern ring out of this ore based on his own will. And he kind of comments that, you know, the Guardians had pretty much said once before that only they had the knowledge and the power, you know, to create a, a forger ring. And Hal's kind of like, I'm kind of surprised I never did this before since I'm really so bad at following instructions and orders. So Hal removes the Hal removes the gauntlet. He puts the Green Lantern ring on, and he kind of mentions there's one rule that I'll never break, though. And he goes, you wear the ring, you say the oath. So say it. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. Let those who worship evil's might. A light from the shadows shall spring. Beware my power. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. Green Lantern's light. The crownless again shall be king. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> it went through my mind the whole time I was reading this when he's hammering away. <laughs> you ever had a hammer? I have in the morning. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Sorry. I had to do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, we're going to look. The first, like, uh, interesting point. To, well, it's all interesting. I should rephrase. One of the question marks in this issue is that we know Hal t- took off the gauntlet. We have no idea what he does with it because it kind of gives you the impression he just kind of left it floating around there. But Hal flies off into space. Um,. Basically, uh, to do his duty, and as Hal says, my name is Hal Jordan, and it's about time I cause some trouble. Ah, <laughs> uh, what a steaming pot! Think... No, I'm only kidding. What? <laughs> uh, I mean, it, I, I liked it. Um, it's definitely. It's. I mean, it's, it's very, very obviously a um, a uh, jumping on point. A jumping on point. A setup issue. Whatever. Um, a uh, let's reignite the fires, quite literally, <laughs> kind of a thing, uh, and go at it. Um, a couple of things I, I notice as reading, and you can comment on them as I go, or I can just list them off. But do you think this planet? You know what this? Not do you think this planet? You know what this planet reminded me of? Borealis. Yeah. Do you remember? Well, actually, now that I think about it, it reminds me of two things. So two things it reminded me of. First, it originally reminded me. Of um, the greenhouse from War of the Green Lanterns. Oh, okay, yeah, kind of, sort of. That ice planet that they kind of end up on, and they take the ship to uh, um, Oa when they're without a ring. Yes. Uh, and then also, uh, it just reminded me of um, the planet that Kyle is on at the beginning of Rebirth. Oh, when he found Parallax. Yes. Well. When he learns about yeah, Parallax. Yeah, that's what I mean. He, learns, yeah. he found the backstory of Parallax. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah a, a little. Um, it's, I don't know. I thought this issue was, I thought this issue was okay. I, I mean, the art was good. You know, obviously it's Van Skyver, so the art's going to be good. Like I said, there's way too many ads in, in the physical book, especially all in one part of the book. Like, like, like seven, almost like seven pages of ads all stuck in the middle of the book. Uh, which is, makes it difficult when you're, Reading, let alone trying to do a recap on it, but the hard copy. Uh, I like the fact that he, the idea of him forging the ring was cool. I'm not quite sure why, what the what the deal is, and I'm sure we will find out. But the tremors and the tremors in the force. I'm not sure why the why the emotional spectrum, why the why the green will would be, you know, why would be cause that kind of reverberation. Well, it's kind of a consistent thing throughout the GL books, actually. You know, the, what's going on in Green Lanterns with the Rage, which obviously we'll get to, 
what's happening with Simon with the Emerald Sight thing, which we've already gotten to, um, what's happening in the next issue with Fear that we'll get to in a second. Like It's kind of like the, everything big involving the emotional spectrum so far is causing reverberations throughout the universe, through, through a lot of people. So at least there's some consistency there. That that is true. Um, I guess, and I guess I'm consistently unsure how how what's the best way to phrase it? How correct or or right that assertion is, or that point of view is, because of the fact that like next issue when we talk about it with with Sinestro, I'm not quite sure. Again, we don't entirely know what entirely know 100% what happens with Sinestro, but still, I'm I'm trying to figure out why what he's done then is so much different than what has happened before. Why you know every why even people that are not related to you know to the yellow spectrum would feel it, and just like I can understand Ganthet feeling it because he's a guardian. I like the fact that it's also interesting in this issue that they call them the last guardians. Yeah. See, so there's so the Templar guardians are gone. Like is that is I that see, what we're I saying? Don't, I don't. Th- there's, there's no way they can be gone without an explanation because it makes no, it, that would make no sense, especially in and I don't and I and I could be wrong on this because I'm, but I, I that would be a major shot at, at Venditti because he's the one who you know was really writing you know the Templar Guardians for the majority of time. You know Jeff brought him back, but he's the one who really did anything with them. And well, Justin I, and Justin, but I yeah, mean yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, the point was they all in in during the ten, the Robert Venditti era, if you will. That's when the that's when yeah. the Templar Guardians were really back. So there's got to be some explanation if they're gone. I think it may be more that there's a relevant reason why they're referring to Ganthet and Sade as the last Guardians, since they really are the last of the old, uh, the last of the the, his, the typical historical Guardians. But it's also interesting that Sade apparently is clueless and has, doesn't feel anything, but Ganthet does. So I think there's a rele- I think there's relevance to that, and I also, but I don't know. It's 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 kind of it's kind of weird. I mean, the way they've approached Hal in this issue and Sinestro in the next issue, I don't quite know if I believe that those reverberations really are. Re- I mean, should be felt the way they are. I mean, maybe Hal maybe Hal would feel it in the next issue because he's like like the only seemingly at the moment until the Green Lantern Corps really comes back to our universe, he's the only real you know light wielder on the green side. So maybe he essentially is almost like. The living, he is kind of like the. He's not Ion, but he's the closest thing to being a living, breathing embodiment of will. So maybe he can sense any kind of major disruption in the spectrum. I, I, and I, and think that's probably how they would explain it, you know, with Larfleas and and some of the others. But I don't well, know. I, uh, I understand this one more than actually the next than the the one we'll talk about in a few minutes in, in the second issue. And Kyle, I I told you people, I told you Omega Men would have nothing to do with any of this. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll prob- we will probably get a throwaway line or two whenever Kyle actually shows up in the book to do whatever he's supposed to do because they're already, you know, they've already, hopefully Kyle fans aren't going to be disappointed by whatever that is, but they've already kind of made the point that, you know, Kyle is not going to be really in the books for, for a while yet because he's going to be doing something when he shows up that pretty much only the White Lantern, well, only Kyle can do. They didn't really say any, was what a White Lantern can do. So that possibly, like in my mind, that could still mean that he, he could bring the guardians back. Maybe that's what he's gonna. That maybe that's what's gonna happen when, he, since Kyle technically could do that, uh, based on what we've been told before, he could do it. Uh, 
but that may not be what he's going to what what they're they're hinting at. But either way, Kyle won't be back for a while. But yeah, I'm still probably be a throwaway line or two to explain where he's been, and that's going to be about it. But but yeah, we knew Omega Man wasn't going to have a big role in this. Um, another thing I wanted to say: Yay, Larflees has a snout again. Yeah, it's not the best best artwork for him. Just like it's not the best interpretation of Carol either. But well, yeah. I remember when uh, what was it? Ma- it was it Maki that was drawing him, where he basically had like a flat face. It might have been, and that and, and that kind of carried forth forward in the in the series, the Demetrius and but Giffen series, right? I think I think that he did. I, I, I don't think no, he had a real. He, he, yeah, he did. In all of it, I don't remember. I just remember for a while there, he had like a almost like a Salic type face. Like yeah. it was really. Flat and weird. Like, go back and read the first Agent Orange story, you guys. He clearly has like a dog snout. Yes, <laughs> that is true. Either way, back that is true. They went off the rails with the way he was drawn. Just like, and it could. And you're right. It could be Monkey because we know he went off the rails with Saint Walker too. He didn't do the Saint Walker justice either. Uh, uh, what do you think of the new design for the ring? I didn't. I I don't like it all that much. Yeah, I don't. I don't like the kind of just simple Cur- band look. The, the to cur- it. Yeah, the curvature of it, I don't like. Yeah. And besides, we know. Let's be honest. Uh, let's see how consistently that's drawn too. It might be more consistent because we're supposed to only have really two ra- draw you know, artists on this book, and so you like to think that at least when when Skyver draws it, it's going to be pretty consistent. So, it might make you know it might make it easier. But well, I don't know. I don't. But your basic question. Like I said, I don't I don't really like it. I like the I either like the traditional Hal circular or like the Kyle style, that kind of style ring. I don't like the uh I mean it's it's better where we're on the panel where he says beware my power cuz like you can see some three dimensions kind of to it. But where when it first shows up, it just looks like simple metal with a symbol in it. You know, like there's no right. kind of you know, engraved type quality to it, where where when you see the panel where it says "Beware my power," it actually looks like, you know, there's some some depth and detail to it. I still don't necessarily like that curved design, though. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I do. We'll see. Yep, we will. Uh, anything else? Um, what do you think? What do you think of the uh, decrepit Sinestro? Uh, let's save that for the next issue because it gets even worse. Yeah, I was going to say it does. It does. It absolutely does get worse. But uh, it, again, I'm I'm sure at some at some point down the road we're probably going to ne- get an explanation for exactly why, you know, why it's not just oh he used up all his he used up all his energy, you know, fighting the pale, pale bishop and then and then he needs a while to recharge or something has to recharge him, as opposed to like almost like a cancer or something where he's just being He's whittling away and getting weaker and more decrepit every every time we see him. That's there's got to be a, there's got to be a story behind that. So, and I guess that's one of if there's any complaint I have about this issue. And of course we know it's the first issue, and, and the next two are still all jumping on points. But there's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of things that are left open, and the question go, becomes how long do you leave some of those things open before you start answering at least some of them. So, did you give the creative team for this one? No, I did not give the creative team for this one. That's Let's, let's get to the uh, the issue. The in, the actual issue is titled "Forged: 
Robert Venditti, the writer, Van Skyber, the artist, Jason Wright, colorist, Dave Sharp, letterer, cover by Ethan Van Skyver, variant cover by Carrie Noro, Andrew Marino, assistant editor, Mike Cotton, editor, and Eddie Berganza, group editor. Uh, so we move on to Green Lantern, or Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number one, the official number one uh, of the series. Writer Robert Venditti, penciler Rafa Sandoval, inker Jordi Tarragona, colorist Tomal Mori, letterer Dave Sharp, cover Sandoval, Tarragona, and Mori, and variant cover Kevin Nowlan. Uh, editors all remain the same. We open up uh, on a distant world. Where Hal is kind of just doing his Green Lantern thing. Refreshing. Uh, you know, just kind of taking on some criminal scum and interrogating them basically uh, in regards to where the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, we cut over to the center of the universe where War World has taken up position uh, in the center uh, where Oa used to be and is establishing itself as, you know, absolute ruler and so on and so forth. We see Sinestro, even more aged, even more decrepit. Uh, which he himself comments on as he's talking to Sinestro, uh, I mean, as he's talking to Parallax, rather, uh, and he basically is kind of praying, kind of talking to to Parallax, uh, saying, you know, I'm going to need your help to kind of restore myself, and then he says his oath um, and absorbs Parallax into him. Cut back to Hal as he's interrogating uh, these aliens still about the location and the last known whereabouts of the Green Lantern Corps based on when they particularly saw them. They say a few months. Uh, at this point, Hal really lights up and feels something, and we see his eyes turn yellow. He says, I can feel it, fear. Back over to War World, we see um, 19, uh, 1940s, 1950s Bob. Uh, <laughs> Sora. Uh Talking to uh, Dominatrix. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Uh, Lissa, <laughs> <talking>, just Lissa. <laughs> yeah, to, to Lissa. Uh, they're talking about, you know, Sinestro and the state of everything and, you know, where he's going and what's going on. And Sinestro walks in, walks out, and addresses the Sinestro Corps. Uh, he gives a speech. He says, and I'm just going to read the, the speech because it's only really two panels. Um he says, my loyal Sinestro Corps, I stand before you renewed in strength and power, power beyond equal, power beyond measure, consumed from the Parallax Entity itself. With this power, I will rule and guide you into the future. The Green Lantern Corps is no more. The, the green light of will is extinguished at last. We fought hard to take our rightful place at the center of the universe, but with the end of that conflict comes a new war, a war with no end. A war for order. Through sacrifice and my daughter's altruism, the universe welcomed us into our new role as lawkeepers. In time, however, sacrifice and altruism will only bring us scorn. All life must be controlled, cowed. You have been chosen to wield the yellow ring of fear to be my agents of order. All others are our enemy. Chaos. My one decree to you is simple. Achieve order through fear. All those who fail will answer to me. Go forth, be enforcers of the order uh, of order the universe requires. Uh, Sinestro's might, and they all chant, and the ring says, you know, by decree of Sinestro, instill fear. Um, Lysa says they're beautiful, and he says they're necessary, and Sora says this is bad. <laughs> Sora says, I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> uh, Hal uh, is, uh, is feeling some effects, feeling Sinestro, feeling fear, um, you know, kind of 
defends himself and kind of shoots off some green will right as a couple of Sinestro members show up. He, uh, Hal shows up, says, I don't do fear. They say, Hal Jordan, but the Green Lantern Corps is gone. You know, Sinestro, this is Sinestro's universe now. There are thousands of us. You're one. One. He says, sounds fun. Uh, and then at the fringe of the cosmos, beyond charted space, there's a tear in the fabric of space time. And the sound effect says, for cash. As the Green Lantern Corps bursts back into the universe. Um, We'll talk about that in a second, that panel. Uh, and uh, Guy says, you know, what you read, because I speak for all of us when I say I don't want to go through that again. Um, Kilowog says that's that's an affirm. The, the few lanterns we got left are banged up something awful. And John says, I hear you, Kilowog. I'm not sure, but I think we're home. And next, this Nestro Corps attacks. So... Green Lantern Corps back. We knew we knew it had to happen sometime. <laughs> so somebody pointed it out. I think it was on uh, Twitter that uh, looks like Rafa is using some of the movie designs for some of these lanterns. Like Isamot right there next to Guy. Yeah. I mean that's 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 got to be Isamot, right? Because that looks just like the way he did, was designed for the movie. And isn't that Muck Muck who's supposed to be dead? What, the blue one? The one underneath John. John's left arm. Yeah, it could be. It looks like it's, it looks like it's Muck Muck. They may not be, they may say it's somebody else, but it certainly looks like it's Muck Muck. And we know he should be dead. Um, obviously, Badge and Arissi are there. Yeah, I wonder, did they meet them through the tear, or were they waiting for them when they got out on the other side? Yeah, this is where it's going to get tricky, because you because you almost assume it's kind of like one of those wormhole kind of things where you, you can walk through two seconds later, but you show, but I worked under the assumption it was like that, where you would you could literally walk through a few seconds apart, but show up years apart, or, 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 or distances, great mm-hmm. distances apart when you actually walk through. And this like in be, the Star Trek movie? Yes. Uh, and, and, but it could be different. It, this could be different, where it's the opposite, where everything all kind of comes together at the end. So even though they wait, they technically step through it, you know, at different times they all end up coming. But by the time they make their way through, they all come out at the same time. I don't know. I Except thought, for Baz, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, and that's the other, and that's where I was going with it. Baz is the exception, and that and that's the even harder part to explain away because obviously Arisia. Arisia and Badge went through first. Simon went through in between, and then the core went through last. So, really, Simon's—you would think Simon would be, would be the most likely to still be with them, and not. But I don't know. That's another thing we probably won't even—we probably won't get an explanation for. Uh, and and we kind of need one. It would help. Arkillo. It would help. Arkillo has his fingers back. Uh, actually, no, he doesn't. They're glowing. I think it's glowing, so it's debatable whether it's whether it's just. I think it, I think they're just a const. It's just a construct. Want to do a slap bet? <laughs> now, Saint, now Saint Walker at some point will bring it. You would assume would bring it back, and that's another that's another thing I would have about this. You know, where you would think Saint Walker would still be with him. Yeah, that's true. And I'm not I'm not a fan of Arkillo again. We I I have an issue. You would think some lanterns would have an issue with this. Not all of them, but some lanterns would have an issue with this after having gone through the role of being 
and going, progressing from being villain to hero and being defender. Because obviously Arkillo in particular, and it doesn't mean we're not going to see Arkillo be conflicted about this, but he seemed all too, in these two pages, he just seems all too willing to just jump on board. And we saw Arkillo was the one who was most affected by the idea of being a hero and being a champion which is one of the reasons why being left behind on Earth made perfect sense to him and St. Walker. And here he is now with the idea that, oh, you have, to ins- you have to keep the order by instilling fear, which is, I'm not entirely, it makes sense based on who they are. I'm not entirely sure if I believe that that has to be done, A, philosophically, or B, I'm, again, I think some lanterns would be a little, re- would be a little resistant. And maybe we're not going to get to see that until they actually are, they're in action, until a push comes to shove where there's a conflict. And then maybe they'll, some of them will be a little torn about how to go about it. Arkillo definitely has his fingers back. But look where they're all chanting Sinestro. Okay, that's, I'm out, that, that's, yeah, you're right. On that, on that page, he looks like he has his fingers back, but that could just be a mistake. Well, they they did did it again the next the next the very next page where they all shout, shout Sinestro together. Yeah, except his hand is glowing there. His left hand is glowing, and actually, if you look at everybody else's hand, they're not glow. It's not glowing the same. So I'm it's not glow. It's not glowing there. It's 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 in the light of Sinestro. Look at the uh, what's the guy that looks like uh, some sort of muck tree creature, and the guy with his fist up right behind it looks what? like Tomare. They all they all their okay. hands are all glowing. We're, we're talking we're talking different panels. Oh, okay. You are correct that the Sinestro standing above them panel and the next panel when they're chanting his name, it looks his hand is back. Yeah. On the next, on the page after Sinestro says Sinestro's might when they're all flying off to carry out his order, that looks yeah. like it's his construct because it, I, I I take that as his ring sparking. It could be, but nobody else's ring is doing quite the same. Even though maybe one of the, the Tomar in the background, maybe. Uh, but again. Point still being, it doesn't mean it's not a mistake because again, this guy may have forgotten that or he he hasn't drawn Arkillo before. Arkillo hasn't, he, so he may have forgotten Arkillo lost his hand, his fingers. We will find it. I'm sure we'll find this out, but yeah. not, but it's not like it's the first person that's drawn Arkillo's hand, quote unquote, wrong since he lost his fingers in Godhead. So. Uh, mm. Just like we see people put the ring on the wrong hand for people too. So yeah, I'm not and, saying I'm not and, saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's. You would think that's kind of relevant. So maybe, again, that'll be a throwaway line later on. Oh, St. Walker healed my hand or something. Uh, but And it looks like we're uh, trading We're trading uh, one uh, really upsetting hairdo for another one. <laughs> we, we, we don't have to deal with Hal's hair anymore, oh, but now we got to worry about swords. Well, that's probably only when this guy's drawn her. I don't think... I don't think... Uh, I don't think Ethan... What what is with the bob? Seriously, I don't know. the the artwork in this in this issue especially is borderline. Uh, some characters look okay. Sinestro looks okay. Uh, Arkillo and most of the uh, the Sinestro core look good. Hal looks so so. Sora looks bad. I think Lissa looks bad. Parallax looks bad. And speaking of Parallax, okay, <laughs> I'm not 100 percent sure that he. He absorbs Parallax, the entire entity, into him. Because of how he phrased it, and because of the process of how it was done. Uh, I'm, you would think, because he, he's got the armor and he's got the he's got the fear streak, you would think. But just the fact that, he, the way he talked about, you know, that how his power is beyond measurable, and you know, I consume power, this power, the power from the Parallax entity itself. I don't know if he really has Parallax in him, 
or he drained power from Parallax. If I, that's what I'm not sure about. I was unsure when I read it the first time. When I reread it, I'm not sure. And maybe we're not supposed to. Maybe that's one of those things we're not supposed to really know because of how that panel is drawn when Sinestro puts his face against the mechanism when it recognizes his ring and he and he starts saying the oath and he starts drawing power from. We don't entirely. I mean, it looks like Parallax is taken out at the end. It does look like that, but it could just be the way it's being drawn that it's the energy being sucked. I don't. I don't know. I think that one might be open to interpretation, but I think we'll find out eventually one way or the other. Because why just why just being why just putting Parallax into him again? Why would that always make him more powerful than he was the last time Parallax was in him? I'm not saying it wouldn't heal some of his his issues. I th- it probably would, but I mean, why would it cause such a ripple in the emotional spectrum that Hal would feel it at that moment? Yeah. So I, so I think there's I think there's something. There's something different going on here with Parallax. So if I had to bet, I don't think the entity is actually in Sinestro. I think I, I think he is, and I'll tell you why I think it caused the ripple that Hal felt. When was the last time Sinestro had Parallax in him? Uh, Godhead. He lost, okay. He lost it in Godhead some. Okay, so it was it was uh okay. and when did the uh, entities die? Lights out. Was it lights out that they died? Yeah, it was the end of lights out. Because I I'm I'm curious because the reason I'm curious is because maybe maybe it's because Parallax is the last entity left. I mean I don't. But don't forget how remember don't remember how couldn't even when how met. Sinestro after the series after that series started and he still and Parallax was the last entity at that point. Hal didn't even know that Parallax was was inside Sinestro until Sinestro whipped it out, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me while I whip this out. Uh, so I don't know. I I think there's got either that or there's just something else going on with the emotional spectrum. <laughs> All I can think about is Hal saying it's true. It's true. <laughs> Ah, uh, Blazing Saddles. It was we love like you. that when I was the host. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I just I unless there's something else going on with the emotional spectrum itself, I don't quite know why just by being the host for par- Parallax again. And yeah, so I'm I'm not quite quite sure. Uh, based on his appearance, you would think he's got the entity in him because he's got more or less the 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 Parallax look and he's got the fear streak. But depending on what he pulled out of Parallax, maybe he could still have that. Maybe he could still get the fear streak, and maybe he's choosing to look like this too. I, mean, I don't know. I think there's more to it. It doesn't mean the entity's not in him. I think. Well, well here's a no, here's a no prize. What if it's what if it's because Hal's the only Green Lantern core member left? Like maybe maybe the you know the entire spe, you know spectrum feels something, but Hal feels it most fiercely. First of all, because of the close relationship between fear and, and willpower in terms of their place on the spectrum. And the fact that Hal's the last one left. Maybe the whole if the whole core was there, they'd get a notification or they'd all feel something. But it's because Hal's the only one left and has had a close relationship with fear in the past, you know, it really kind of provides a cosmic feedback directly into him. True, but he, but again, he doesn't say parallax. He says fear. If he said parallax, then I would buy that more. And then he says Sinestro too. So, yeah, 
I don't know. I there, I think there's still. I still think there's. I still think there's something else going on. I don't think it's just a matter of him hosting. I thought originally that's all it was going to be. I thought that's. I thought that's all it was going to be. That, in order to prevent his decay, if you will, that he was going to have to. He was going to take parallax inside of him, and that was going to be it. And he, and again, he may have parallax inside him, but I still think there's something else going on beyond that. Uh, but we'll find out. And I think I think Rafa is a good artist. I just think it's very clear which panels he took his time on. For instance, the double page press splash of the Green Lantern Corps entering the universe again. Yeah, but see, I, I and I actually I don't I don't like that one. I don't like that one. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I, it's my favorite. What I'm saying is it's pretty much the better one of all the pages. In the whole book? I think. I well, think. Not, 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 not the single best, but it's definitely one of the better ones. It's clear which ones he spent his time on. Like when Sinestro is above the Sinestro core, uh, that's, that's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I think the whole stuff, I think the whole interaction between Sinestro and the core, leaving out the Lissa and Sora stuff. I think that's the best. I think that's the best art in the book. But I know which. But yes, he definitely did. I will agree that he did spend a lot of. There's a lot of detail you can see on the uh, double splash page of the core returning back. Uh, it's just that some obviously like not surprising. Some characters are. Some characters he's more successful at drawing than others. Hmm. So. All right. Anything else? Uh. And are you and what do you think about Sinestro's marching orders? You think that makes one hundred percent sense from from the Sinestro point of view? I mean, it is Sinestro. Yeah, that's what he got kicked out of the core for in the first place. Yeah, I I don't. My issue with it is not necessarily that I don't think it's Sinestro like. I just think it's unfortunate in a way that they said that they they. They have something good. They set something up good, not just from a reading point of view, but even from a universal point of view. They are being accepted. They are being accepted as the proper and peacekeepers in the universe. And to throw it all away so quickly... Well, I mean, I don't know, because the only ones that they killed that we could see is those criminals. So we have we we're gonna have to wait and see how the the core interacts with the general law-abiding you know citizenry of the universe. No, I know, but it, but the mere the mere fact that he said that pretty much the only thing the only real specific instruction you have I gave you your general marching order, but the the only real specific instruction you're getting to how to implement it is you have to use fear. You have to instill fear to keep order. So that pre- so that pretty much means to me that it doesn't matter that you have a you have a planet or who is more or less is loyal let's say quote unquote loyal to the Sinestro Corps and and is willing to and is basically willing to follow their lead but still no matter what happens that they have to go that that the the Yellow Lantern or that sector has to make sure that they're almost that they're afraid of the Sinestro Corps again that it's not just that that we're, it's not like they, you can appreciate them as their your protector. You have to be afraid of not listening to us. And I think that's not the smart way to go across the board. In some sectors, in some planets, it's probably the smart way to go. I think, I think that's and of course it's Sinestro's tunnel vision, which will probably lead to you know again will lead to his downfall. But just realistically speaking, even from an implementation point of view, it's like that concept of whether it's better to be loved or feared, and and that kind of debate. 
the idea is if you have so many people that are willing to follow you now and see you as something different than you, what you were and see you as the next, basically maybe the next stage of evolution following the Green Lantern Corps, that you are what should be here now. We, we, want your, we want you to protect us. We're loyal to you. Do you need to make those people cow? before you do you need you know do you mm -hmm. need to make to do that in order to keep the power that they kind of like willingly gave you to start with and that's my and that's my issue with the strategy and it's my issue again if they don't have some of the yellow lanterns kind of like when push comes to shove and they have to do it if they don't have if there's nobody in the sinestro core that has that i would be greatly just i would be disappointed especially in Arkillo. and of course cullen cullen's not writing Arkillo anymore so now it's now it's up in the air, and of course now it's in Robert's hand. So I guess well, that and maybe that concerns me a little too, because I liked I liked the Arkillo we saw in in Sinestro, just like I liked for the most part when we when he was in New Guardians too. I think that they fleshed out Arkillo quite well. And if, if all if there's any member not counting Sora, because she's all really only a member in name only, it's not really where her you know her loyalties and her natural power set comes from. She's not a you know she's not a Yellow Lantern really, truly. Deep down, Arkillo's the one. The Arkillos, he would seem to be the one, based on everything we've seen up to this point, who would be the one who'd be most likely not to be happy, with, or with the idea that oh, I have to, I basically have to scare the loving crap out of all these people who I've kind of taken on the role of protector as, and I kind of like being seen as a protector, and now, I, and now I have to make them afraid of me to do this. I don't know. I'd be disappointed if if Arkillo actually ends up having to, doesn't have some conscience questioning in there going on, especially if St. Walker's still with him. St. Walker can't be, won't be thrilled with that. I don't think. So. Alright, Green Lanterns. Green Lanterns. Alright, so Green Lanterns number two. Rage Planet part two. Uh, we open on Yuzmalt uh, as Atrocitus is kind of rallying the troops. Not going to go into too much detail there. Uh, but he's just kind of explaining to them that uh, Red Dawn will basically uh, not be, but involve Earth becoming the new kind of home world, central place of the Red Lantern Corps and uh, the center of you know rage in the universe. We cut back to Jessica uh, in Oregon, where um, she is fending off a. I'm just going to call them rage zombies. I'm just going to call them rage zombies. Uh, she's fending off a crowd of rage zombies, uh, one of which is her sister. Uh, in comes them good old Duke boys. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, them Duke boys is at it again. Uh, <laughs> no, Simon Baz comes crashing through the wall uh, in a Constructs vehicle, grabs Jessica, and tears out of there. She's worried about her sister, and he's basically telling her to shut the hell up. We got bigger fish to fry. She says, forget it. Powers out of there, just trying to save her sister. Uh, we cut back to a uh, to last night, basically, as she's talking to her sister uh, and kind of showing off her new powers uh, and having a conversation with the ring. Uh, actually, I actually really like these like three, four, four pages right that's, here. That's where I think the book works the best. The interaction between Jessica, any interaction with Jessica doing the narration and Jessica interaction with the ring. I think mm -hmm. that stuff works really well, and they're onto something with that. Or he, Humphreys is onto something. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll, we'll definitely come back to it. You know, the specifics of what the ring says that are funny and stuff like that. Um, 
Uh, but they're getting along, and you know, she's not sure she's worthy, and her sister's got faith in her, and stuff like that. Um, then we cut back to the fact. Well, one point of note here that I should mention: she hasn't created her first construct yet. Uh, then we cut back to now in the supermarket where she's trying to really, really concentrate to help her sister and create a construct. Her sister, all rage zombied out, is starting to talk to her and taunt her, stuff like that. And before Jessica can create her first construct, Simon shows up and takes the sister out of the equation, not by killing her, but just kind of knocking her out. He grabs Jessica and literally shackles him to her and flies out of the supermarket and into the stratosphere atmosphere. Um, and says, hey, look, just look down. You know, there's a lot going on right now. We got bigger stuff to fry. If you want to save your sister, kind of take care of the source of this. And as they look down, you can see the entire North American continent is covered in a glowing red lantern rage symbol. And this is next, the bleeding earth. He likes, he likes that teddy bear. He does. He does. Um, I mean, I like it. I mean, I've, I've I've been saying I know a lot more than you have, but I know that you kind of, at least in some way, agree with me that we need more characterization, more family, more you know that kind of a stuff with regards to Hal. And even though we aren't really getting it with Hal, at least we're getting it with Jessica, which is technically the next best thing in terms of if we were going to get it with anybody else, it should be really uh, Jessica and Simon. Because these are two lanterns we don't know anything about really now. So how best to establish them then by providing characterization like these four pages that Jessica gets here. So I, I really like that. And I thought it was, you know, I thought it was drawn well. Um, uh, speaking of the art, I should probably say the creative team. Let me, uh, let me get to it here real quick. If the uh, <laughs> digital copy I'm reading will load just a little bit faster. Um, hang on one sec. I'm almost there. Almost, almost. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. Writer Sam Humphreys, pencils, uh, Robson Roca, inks, Jay Leinstein, Leistein, colors by Blonde, letters by Dave Sharp, cover by Roca, Joe Prado, and Rod Reese, variant cover by Emanuela Lupacino and Tamu Mori, and the editors all remain the same. Yeah. So. No, but there's some great moments in here art-wise. Uh, you know, it's not a lot of detail, but Atrocitus sitting on that little throne looks cool. That re- that uh, kind of brief panel sketch of uh, the Butcher looks cool. I mean, the Butcher isn't back, guys. It's just showing that he's dead uh, slash no longer in the universe, whatever. That splash of Jessica when we first see her is cool. Um you know, there's there's great smaller moments throughout there. The panels where Jessica and her sister are interacting, those are pretty great. Uh, a lot of detail in those, you know, stuff like that. But you know, I just I thought it was I thought it was kind of cool. I thought it was a good issue. Jessica's a winner, for sure. She may she she may, she may not be able to make a construct worth it, you know what? But <laughs> but it'll it'll happen, man. It'll happen. But she has personality, and personality is, is, has been missing for a long time. So the one thing, the one thing that this book absolutely gets, at least as far as trying to have a unique voice, 
Like I said, Jessica is a narrator, and when she's talking, it's really good. You know, it's like, a, hi, it's me, Jessica Cruz, the Green Lantern of Earth, and I'm shopping for towels. <laughs> it's like, a, superheroes need to shower, too. And she goes on this little, you know, talking about how un, how how tight and how unbre- unbreathable the costumes are and all that stuff. Just a little humor like that, but, the ri- but I really like the stuff with her in the ring. I really like the fact that they they really do a good job at making the ring have a personality. Yep. And I like that. And, I, and I've always liked the concept of it, not just because it's self-serving, because when I wrote my Green Lantern <laughs> scripts, that's what I had. <laughs> not, maybe not in... I actually, it was kind of like this from that point of view. It starts it starts out being subtle, and then as you probably, in, in my mind, as, as the ring gets used to its host, then you have like more of a real personality going back and forth, because they both know each other, so there's more banter, if you will, as opposed to just giving the, just the facts, ma'am. Kind of like, like kind of like Skeets and Booster. Yes, like that. That's and that's how I always imagine the, the ring, the ring and the and the bearer could would have that. That's the relationship that they could, not necessarily would, but they could have. And the stronger that bond was, and, and when they had relationships like that, especially the longer they were together, that's why certain lanterns could do things that maybe other lanterns couldn't. Even if their willpower was somewhat close to, it's the fact that. There was that that ring and the and the, and the bearer had such a bond, you know. So I like I like that idea. I like I like the little thing like uh, when Jessica's talking about, oh, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm afraid of everything, but my sister's cat Crouton. Now here's fearless, and the ring just goes, Crouton is not qualified to be a Green Lantern. You are. <laughs> Cats are, however, qualified to be Red Lanterns. Though, so. <laughs> I like, she's like, ouch, I'm dying. Negative. Scan shows no yes. signs of broken bones or internal bleeding. Dying of embarrassment. <laughs> Scanning for embarrassment. <laughs> I like that. She says, make a construct, like a, a big boxing glove or whatever. Yes. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was good. Um, yeah, it was good. I I think it's, it's still taking a little bit long to get into the whole, you know, a lot of the Red Lantern stuff, I think, and we still need a lot. Hello, we still need some backstory on the Red Lanterns, why they're even there to begin with, why they're back, why they, you know, atrocities. So there's a lot of stuff missing here. I know you can't, maybe the first few issues weren't the best place to throw it because it's a jumping on point. But for the people who, but the, but the people who aren't just jumping on and who know about this stuff, you know, you're going to start, now you're going to get getting into, you know, soon issues, you know, issues four or five, six, kind of start giving us some background on this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gonna, it's going to be kind of hard to keep overlooking it as we get, you know, three four months into the into into the book. Yeah, I think I think a lot of those types of things, those little little things, can definitely uh, that are in this book. There are definitely things that are wrong with it, things that can be approved on. I think there's one major problem with this book, and that's Simon. Yeah, Simon's still a jerk. We we cannot have, we can't sacrifice Simon. To make Jessica better, and I know that sounds crazy, especially coming from me or at least one of us from the Lantern cast, because we we would for there was a, a moment not too long ago would be just as soon as get rid of Simon and Jessica. But if we're going to keep them, we can't turn Simon into an asshole just to make Jessica look better. I well, mean, there's a little bit of characterization in here in terms of he's like holding back, like. You know, how much do I tell her? He's trying to take on the whole mentor role in a way, the more seasoned veteran, which doesn't really count. And they've said themselves doesn't really count. 
uh, with issue one of this or this rebirth special or whatever. They said it doesn't really count. Um, but he's obviously like withholding things from her and treating her. Thing. I mean, the withholding things from her, the trying to get her to focus on the bigger picture. Okay, those things I, I can understand. He's actually flown with the Green Lantern Corps before and gone on missions with them and stuff like that. And Jessica has it. So, yeah, in that respect, he's he knows a little more what's expected of a Green Lantern. But you, you can't you can't do this to him. You know what I mean? Yes. But the reality is they have done this to him. And now they're trying. And now that's what this. And we talked we talked about this, I think, last last issue review episode. We talked about this when we did the first two issues of this book that clearly at least in my opinion i think you agreed so it sounds like certainly now you agree, you would you agree even if you didn't you know say it 100 percent then uh that clearly they did this on purpose to try to make jessica a lot more likable that was the yes. strategy from the that was their strategy from the get-go because this was not the simon baz we had read before especially in green lantern simon was regardless of his initial introduction and his background the reality is Simon, as a character in, in interacting with him, Simon was a pretty good, decent guy. He was he was a, he was a likable character. They clearly made a decision when they launched this book to try to get Jessica, you know, to to get her to, for, to people to embrace her. That will make Simon the bad cop, make her the good cop. People will gravitate towards Jessica, and that so that is the first phase of what they wanted, and they I think they succeeded in that. And this issue, again, part of the probably part of the plan all along. This issue was the first step with them trying to now rein it back a little, and slowly starting to dial it back. So we're gonna, and I think we see a little bit more of it in the next issue too. If they start trying to make Simon a little more likable, not as much of a douche, so then you get to the point where you already like Jessica, and now you can like Simon again. So, anyway. it's easy to say, and I do agree, and I think I said it, that it's a it was a kind of a cheap strategy a questionable strategy but it but it has been an effective one for the most part and it has worked so you can't really argue too much about and say it was a mistake because it seems to have worked for them so far a lot of people a lot of people wouldn't didn't care about either one of these characters and jessica probably even less than simon and now people probably care about jessica more than simon so they put a check in their column they've succeeded in that they've done a decent job and like three issues up to this point of establishing Jessica as a likable character and somebody we would like to see more of and learn more about. Yes, Simon has not come across that way, but I, maybe the bigger, maybe from their point of view, they thought Simon, Jessica was always going to be the tougher sell. So maybe that was the point. Or unless they're going to kill Simon, unless they're going to kill Simon off and then, <laughs> then it won't matter. <laughs> a few, half a year, it won't matter. He'll be dead. Guy Gardner and Jessica Cruz. Alright, next issue? Alright, next issue, Green Lantern 3. So, since I have the last page open, since I let's do that and do the creative team. This is Rage Planet Part 3. Stan, uh, Sam Humphrey is the writer. Tom Derenick and Robson Roker. Pencil along, actually, with Jack Herbert and Neil Edwards are pencils. Which actually makes sense when you look at this issue, because the art is inconsistent. Uh, Inks, Tom Palmer, Jay Leaston, Herbert, Keith Champagne... Colors Hi-Fi, Dave Sharp Letters, covered by Roca Prado and Rod Reese, variant cover Emmanuel Lupicino and Tome More, Marino Cotton and Berganza remain the editors. So, 
we 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 pick up where we left off, and this is kind of funny because the last issue kind of began with uh, with Jessica's narration. Now we have Simon's narration, and they're 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 flying back back down towards Earth now. He's still clutching the teddy bear that he wants to give his nephew. Stealing the teddy bear, we might point out. <laughs> he just he just hasn't learned, man. <laughs> so so that, so they're flying back uh, after seeing the big red red rage lantern symbol on uh, North America over the U.S. and everything, and then the number of infected, you know, the ring is telling them the number of infected humans with rage, and she's trying to talk to him about, oh, you know, you know we, we gotta, once we, you know, once we find these Red Lanterns, we should contact the Justice League, right? It's like, uh, we should get a plan together, right? It's kind of like an alien, it's kind of like an alien, it's like, game over, man, game over! <laughs> so she keeps talking to Simon, Simon pretty much ignores her, now on, you know, outside of St. Louis, we have some really horribly drawn Red Lanterns. Unfortunately, the Red Lanterns we know, so you can't. So it's kind of hard to forgive them. It's a really bad Atrocitus. Bleeds looks slightly better. I don't know what the hell's going on with Dexter, but he doesn't look like a cat. So they they land outside St. Louis, and the whole you know, Atrocitus gives Bleeds her marching orders. You know, her job is to pretty much protect the Hell Tower. To intercept, you know, the Green Lanterns, make sure they, they they don't do anything because we need to be we need to be able to plant the the rage seed, which I think was mentioned last issue that they have the rage seed. They have to put it, I guess, in the rage tower at the right time, which I guess it's any time now. So then it'll take root and grow and whatever. Uh, the Red Lanterns confront this, you know, this farmer in the, in this. I'm assuming it's his grandkid, uh, but either way, you know, they're, they're just atrocious picks up on, on the rage in these two people and he points out that you know when this is all when everything is all said and done when Red Dawn comes there's going to be a place for you amongst us and things like that Simon and you know Simon and Jessica land to deal with pretty much they end, end up dealing with Blees this is one of kind of a mistake here that Simon uses whips out his gun a lot of whipping it out this episode <laughs> Simon whips out his piece, and of course now it's green construct, which of course it looks like a green construct, which of course it shouldn't be because Simon's gun is actually real. Uh, it's a physical gun. Jessica comments on it like, you know, you have the most powerful weapon in the universe, and why do you need a gun? And he's like, uh, this ring isn't always going to be there for you. It's like when it failed me, this gun took down Sinestro, and I like Jessica's like, is that supposed to make you sound tough? Because it really doesn't mean anything to me. It makes you sound like an idiot. And Simon, kind of being a little little pessimistic there for a, a Green Lantern. It's like, if you trust that ring to save you 24-7, then you're the idiot. At this moment, uh, Blee shows up and she starts take, she starts fighting with both Simon and Jessica. Jessica pretty much still can't, you know, she's still having trouble making her construct. She really can't fight back appropriately. Larf, I mean, Larfleet. Uh, Blee just doesn't care, so she just kind of takes Jessica and throws her, throws her literally through, through a building. Simon and you know, Simon and uh, Blee's square off, and this is one of the cooler parts of this issue. Back in Michigan, at uh, Simon's place, and this, and for the clarification, what we kind of couldn't quite remember last time, uh, Sarah is Simon's sister, and and was it what's his name, Nazir? Mm-hmm. Nazir is actually the is the brother-in-law. So when, because I know Chad and I couldn't quite remember based on back in the day whether Nazir was the real brother or brother-in-law 
but Nazir is the brother-in-law. So, you know, the doors the doors open to the house. They 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 go in to see what's going on, and of course now we see our mysterious lost guardian there, looking a little more kind of reminded me a little bit more of Ganthet in this stage. Uh, and and this is good, again good characterization. The the guardian's like greetings. I've traced the energy signature of a powering you know to this building. I do need to speak to the guardian who lives here immediately. And for the sake of lantern. what? He said, I need to speak with the guardian who lives oh, here. Oh, did I? Oh, Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> I need to speak with the green lantern who lives here immediately. And for the sake of the whole universe, I pray it's Hal Jordan. <laughs> I like that. Or that new guy. What's his name? John something. Stuart. I may or may not be out of the loop. <laughs> that's funny. For a guardian, that's like hot. That's like hot. Really high, high tier comedy for a guardian, which shows you how long he's been out there, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something we'll have to talk about. Yeah, which is also yeah, if he's out there so long, then how come he necessarily knows all the names of the green? But then again, we don't know what he's been doing all this time. Uh, so now we have when Simon's squaring off against Blaze. Now we get kind of like again a, more of a humanizing moment for Simon. We get some flashbacks dealing with you know Simon's rage, uh, the rage that. You know, his nephew, Farid, feels because he doesn't seem to belong because he's a Muslim, going up that angle again. Uh, how, you know, Simon was responsible for pretty much the car accident that put Nazir into the coma, which, of course, Simon helped bring him out of with his ring. And Blees is pretty much playing on all these memories, trying to get Simon to, to basically uh, to submit to his, to his rage to give in. But Simon's willpower spikes. He says he won't give in. He ends up, you know, he he's thinking about how he healed Nazir, and that was supposedly impossible to do, but yet he did it, so he, it kind of, like, magnifies his will even more. You know, he blasts Blaze. I like the way he's motivating himself. Dig deep, Simon! <laughs> right before he goes, uh, oh, don't send me to bed, Mom, I'm not sleepy. <laughs> so basically, at this point, they, uh, because of the energy dispersed by Simon's rings, Ring, Simon and Blaze are both pretty much passed out momentarily, but of course, when Simon comes to, and we see this at, even before that, Blaze is not Red Lantern Blaze anymore. Blaze is back to being pre-tortured Blaze. You know, beautiful, feathered wings, hair. <laughs> tales of the Core, right? Yes, Tales of the Core Blaze, the first, the origin of Blaze. When she was a princess, that kind of, that, that kind of, which is, we must point out, is a much better look for her. <laughs> much better look for her. So, we have some internal monologue here from Blees, and she doesn't know what happened because she can't feel the rage anymore. You know, that pounding in her skull is gone, and now she kind of, she just kind of feels guilt now for basically what she's done. She just feels like without rage, you know, pretty much, what what does she have? And she, just, you know, she just destroyed herself. This, there's this 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 huge amount of despair in her. So she basically cr- takes takes a shard of glass or whatever that's on, or... No, it's not really... Is it glass? Is it spo- it's supposed to be, right? Because she sees a reflection. Pretty sure. Yeah, because I had doubts whether it was more solid than that. Uh, she's about to stab herself in the midsection to kill herself with it. Simon saves her. And she's like, you know, let go of me, let go of me. And, of course, you know, she, at this moment, she starts kind of slowly transforming back into the Blees we know. At least she's back in her costume again. She sells her natural wings. She's still pretty. She sells her hair. You know, Simon's like, you know, my ring kind of, like, healed you. So it's like, uh, and, and Blees is like, you, you you took away my rage, but, you know, but, I'm, but not my sins. You know, it's, it's, I, 
and she, you know Simon's really trying to like, no, it's okay, you know, we can. If you, I, I came back from stuff, I, you can come back too, and and she kind of recounts her origin a little bit to Simon about being the princess, and she has a moment of weakness when Simon's getting through to her, that saying that Atrocitus is coming with the raid seed, you know, he's going to bring the whole planet. It's it's at risk. It's, she's, he's going to bring everything down. You have to destroy the Hell Tower. Unfortunately, at this point, Jessica shows up and blasts blast Blee's from behind, and that kind of gets a full rage on for Blee's. So she returns back to the Blee's that we know, and now you know now she's you know she can hear the pounding even harder than before, and now she's really really angry at Simon Baz for showing for basically showing her that there was another way, and then and. And then the fact that she ended up being back into uh, where she was before. Not entirely the same, but she's back. Except now she says, you know, she needs to hide because she has to hide from the lantern. She has to hide from Atrocitus. You know, ev she feels like everybody's out, everybody's out to get her at this point. Simon and Jessica come together and they pretty much keep arguing about this. It's like, uh, you know, I had things under control, Jessica. You kind of screwed it up. It's like it didn't look like you had it under control. And they keep going back and forth. And there's a there's a there's a warning that more humans are infected with rage. Immediate action required. They agree, they agree to you know let's have a truce. We have to go deal with this bigger issue. We have to chase that Rand Lantern stopper before. And then Simon picks up the teddy bear again because he plans on giving it to his uh, nephew as a present. And then she goes, "No, it's like Blee's told me when she was lucid about the Hell Tower. It's like we have to we have to stop the Hell Tower." And Jessica's like, are you actually going to like trust me with a plan? You know, this time, Simon. It's like, we're, you know, we're here. Just, I don't know. Stop talking. Follow my lead. You know, they they land they land in the center of all this rage. There's a lot of humans, you know, scattered throughout the blood, basically, or or the or the, the living rage, if you will. And Simon Simon hears from Jessica like, I, I I don't feel so. Simon gets blasted from behind, and now Jessica is all of a sudden infected by rage, and she's like, "This rookie is about to kick your ass!" Rage. <laughs> the end. <laughs> dun, 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 what do you think? I think I don't know. I think there was. It's it's really I like last issue better. I like the issue you got better. I think I like I liked seeing Blees be no, be normal again. I don't. Again, it comes back to this whole part of what the hell they're doing with Simon and why can he do things that nobody else can do. I mean, I did, in a way, it kind of reminds me of how remember how Ethan said coming back one of the things he wanted to do when he came back, even though of course this isn't his book, but just in general, the idea that he wanted to like reestablish or firm and firm, firmly establish the rules of what rings could do, what rings couldn't do, things like that. And, all, and we're not getting a whole lot of that in either book so far, really. And especially this book. This book seems to be going off in its own direction about they can do this. Or this character in particular can do this. He can do that. We know Green Lanterns can't cure rage. They can't cure Red Lanterns, even temporarily. We know they can't do that. They've never been able to do that before. Why is Simon able to do it? Maybe maybe this Guardian is gonna, we're gonna, will help us get an explanation for it. Maybe... I don't know. It's kind of the same way, to be fair, spreading the blame around. Just like when they had that stupid thing happen in Jeff John's last issue when a Green Lantern cured, brought Hal back from from the dead when he was a Black Lantern. Stupid. Doesn't make any sense. Has nothing to do with the rules of the game that we learned before. At least this, they have a chance to give us an explanation. So I liked seeing Blees. 
she was drawn really well. I liked Simon's flashbacks. This was a better Simon issue to try to humanize him. I don't, but I'm still not really on board with where they're going with Simon 100%. And the art in this issue was fairly all over the place. There was Some art was really, really good. Some art was really, really bad. And again, some characters... We understand some characters are always going to be quote-unquote weaknesses for certain art artist, you know, even if 90% of the rest of the book looks good. But Jessica doesn't look good in this issue. Not at all. Uh, compared to how she at, has in the past. Bleeds looked great. Compared to tons. Compared to Jessica, amazingly great. But, I don't know. To me, this was this was okay. As, as a as an issue, art-wise, and even as a story, I don't think it was as good as uh, issue two. Yeah. I'm not... Uh... I don't have much to say about this issue, to be honest with you. The art was inconsistent uh, throughout it, so that kind of took me out of it. The bickering back and forth between Jessica and Simon is going to get old really fast. Uh, the Blee stuff was probably, like you said, the most interesting out of everything. Uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of waiting for Red Dawn to become something. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I know, I know they're trying to build it into something, but I'm still waiting on the payoff. The yeah, the the, the 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 threat to become real. Not that you know, the whole country being infected with rage uh, isn't something. But it's just kind of it's it's kind of there on page. But I'm not feeling it yet. If that makes any sense. No, I understand. Uh, You're waiting for issue ten, red mid morning. Yeah, basically. <laughs> It's, there there are good elements here. There are things that could pay off nicely. Oh, the Guardian. You wanted to talk about the Guardian. Oh, yeah. Um, specifically the fact that he knows who Hal Jordan is and who the quote-unquote new guy is, Jon Stewart. So that definitely gives us a time frame to look for a Guardian who this might be. Again, like you said, it could be, be a guy who was paying attention from afar and we never actually saw but if he's someone we should have seen before, that gives us a time frame to look in. True. Uh, I'm I'm not going to open up my, my boxes right now, but you know that that's definitely a, a you know '70s kind of reference. Whether this is uh, maybe old timer, you know, Appa, um, which I doubt, but it could be. Uh, they can always bring whoever they want back. Obviously, it's definitely obviously not Gant. That, uh, like I said, probably you know old timer maybe or. Maybe just, uh, I don't know, we'll see. I don't know of any other Guardian I would choose there, so. Appa's the one, obviously, that's popping into my mind. He's always the one we think of when they're gonna, when, when it's pretty clear that it's a Guardian coming back, he's the, he's the one we always think of. <laughs> and maybe, and eventually one day we'll be right, uh, you would think. Could be Dolly. Yes, yes. And it could be somebody new again. They yeah. kind of imply he's been out there for a long time. He was been lost for a while, going back to I think the the first the one shot. I his his part and the ring in the box. That's the stuff that that intrigues me the most. Now it's pretty clear based on the solicits, we're not going to get an answer to what the so-called phantom ring I think is what it's referred to. That we're not going to be we're not going to get a, a real any kind of explanation for for this probably until the Red Dawn uh, storyline ends. <clears throat> 
or the, at least the first phase of it ends. Assuming it's, I'm assuming this is just one one big arc, and then and then it moves on to a dip for a different arc. I think based on the solicits. I'm curious about that. The fact that they call it the Phantom Ring automatically takes away a little. Could mean a lot of things, so maybe it's not something you should read into. But it's something that does kind of take away my enthusiasm when I heard that term, the Phantom Ring. It's not exactly what I, where I was imagining it would go, but again, they could go in a lot of different directions, so maybe it'll be appropriate. I like Jessica. I agree. Stop with the, stop having so much bickering between the two of them. Have them work have them work together a little bit more, and maybe that'll be a, uh, one of the things that'll come from after their red raged fueled conflict that should be technically coming out with tomorrow as we're as we're recording this so hopefully that that will happen they'll start being get, getting on the same board let's get the red lanterns into action a little bit more let's give us a little more of an explanation for again why the, why atrocitus is even there they kind of did a, i think it's kind of a cop out to bring Blaze in just to have Blaze leave again well you know exactly why they did it now yeah cuz she says you know, I'll never forgive you for this, Simon. So now they're making Blee's Simon's, you know. Fatality. <laughs> her Sinestro, her fatality, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say. Uh, yes, but it's, I'm kind of torn. I still, th- I probably like the, I like the potential of, of the Cal Jordan book more. So I think. That keeps me interested in the fact that there's more characters I like, clearly, are in that book. But So that's where my loyalty is going to lie. I, I've, they've done a good job, excuse me, on getting me to like Jessica. They better amp up the Simon-like. And I don't know, we'll see how it goes. Humph- there are some good things Humphreys does with the writing, I, like, like, it's, like we've discussed. The, the ring... The narration tends to be funny, a little bit from both of them, but mostly from Jessica. Obviously, the the ring banter is cute. That stuff is good. I don't like the fact that, even though we're supposed to, I'm sure we're supposed to be getting a real explanation for why this is possible. I don't like having all these rules bent and kind of rearranged. And it makes it even worse, I think, when you have a writer who you know is not familiar with Green Lantern doing it, because that always opens the door for the fact that some of these things may not... Oh, The major points you assume are done on purpose, but there are always little things that you wonder about. Maybe it's not... It's just something that he didn't know not to do. You know, I'm not saying it's the case. I'm just saying... It's, those are thoughts that pop into your head more naturally when you, when you have someone who doesn't have a background in Green Lantern as opposed to somebody that does. So, we'll see. It's... This book is still up in the air for me. It's it's not Sinestro. Let's put it that way. True. All right. Anything else? No, I think I think that's it for the issue review ep- part of this episode. I think. All right, guys, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, listener feedback. Calabac Tassad. It is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's Who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. 
Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. This is John Stewart, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, and you are listening to the Lantern Cast. All right, guys, and we're back. All right, we got a couple of emails to get to, uh, and by a couple, I do mean two. So, uh, Mark, you want to take the first one? I will take the first one, and this is from Laurel. Hello, Laurel. Been a while since you wrote us, I guess, regarding this show. Though she did actually sent she sent us, I think, our, our and we're gonna frame it like our our like our our main comments are about uh about pre birth and and an email so far. So that's cool. So hi guys, I'm behind in my podcast listening and just came across your request for comments about the Green Lantern books and the new Fifty Two era. So here are my impressions. The Green Lantern storyline was the least affected by the new 52 changeover, but I did feel the characters, especially Hal and Kyle, were less emotionally mature than when we left off uh, pre-Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, since de-aging the heroes was one of the goals of the new 52, I figured DC did a good job accomplishing that for the Green Lanterns without completely unbalancing the ongoing through story. I like the first year of the books when they each followed their own stories. Green Lantern and Green Lantern New Guardians were the best books for me, but then the build-up to the Third Army began in earnest. The Third Army event itself came along, and that and then that rolled right into the First Lantern event. Taken all together, it was just way too drawn out. Agreed. Yeah, I kind of feel like Third Army and... I, I, I personally see Third Army and First Lantern as one event. Yeah, and I think they had to... They had to dial back to the anticipation for that because when people heard, when they were when they kept doing the rise of the third army and especially when they start showing how the covers were in, were going to interlock everybody naturally assumed it was going to be the next green lantern event and they literally had to come out and say no this is setting up the next green lantern event so they had to make it clear that in their mind's eye wrath you know, wrath of the first lantern was more of the event and third army was kind of like a build up and mostly a bust in all honesty uh Let's see. Uh, There were were some really neat ideas like the introduction of the Templar Guardians and the exploration of the Indigo Tribe, but the drawn-out nature of the back-to-back events was tiresome. Yes. Uh, My faith in Jeff Johns was restored by his outstanding final issue. I didn't think it was possible to bring together so many threads from so many titles on one issue and make that issue great. The only big mistake for me was making Kyle the White Lantern, and then when the time came to guide Hal's spirit back into the living once more, Kyle says he can't bring back the dead. Wasn't that the point of making him the White Lantern? Correct. I said that before. I thought all, Personally, I thought all along the point of Kyle becoming a White Lantern then was so that when the time came, he could bring Hal back. That is a White Lantern power, though Jeff Johns conveniently forgot it. So, again, you might be able to explain it away because he didn't become a White Lantern by by having the White Entity inside him or granting him the power. He became a White Lantern in a different way by mastering the spectrum, so maybe his power set is different. But, yes, it's stupid, especially because we just saw, like, an issue before. He was this close to bringing back New Korgar, an entire friggin' planet. They just had to be willing to walk through the door he created, and they weren't. So it didn't make any sense. Uh, how did Hal manage to become alive again anyway? Which is ironic, since we did talk about that this episode, but, like, even before we knew about this email, that we were going to, I mean, specifically do it this week. 
They never gave us an explanation. Friggin' Green Lantern ring went back on Hal's finger, and all of a sudden he wasn't dead anymore. Horrible. It seemed like a really glaring mistake in an issue that was so deftly put together. Agreed. Despite this error, that issue was really impressive, especially the way it wrapped up each character's story. Agreed. <laughs> So we, went from, so we went from that high into a new era. I liked Lights Out. Seeing the Blue Lantern Corps wiped out really moved me. Indeed. I know a lot of people didn't like that emotional reservoir idea, but I figured it was easily written into continuity and could easily be written out again. True. For example, just say the spread of the gray agents happened earlier than anyone thought, and, and they affected the power batteries and made the entities sick. I th oh, I don't think she means the gray agents. She, doesn't she mean the Pale Vickers? Probably. I have no idea. Uh, either, I'm sure she, I'm sure something could be written to limit the previous status quo. In the meantime, as we explore the whole limited resource concept, had the Red Lantern, had the improved Red Lanterns bookstore and guy and gained a number of new likable core members. A downward slide began soon after Lights Out. I don't think the books ever really recovered with the exception of Sinestro. <laughs> the Durland War and Godhead had good concepts. I love the return of the Black Ops Green Lanterns. Yes. Yes. But we're too long. Yes. Yep. Plus, many of those good ideas were never properly followed up. For example, Sodom Yacht was no sooner brought back than he was taken away again. Yes. <laughs> A big deal was made of Becca joining the Sinestro Corps, but what did she really do after that? True. She... Laurel, you have really good observations. <laughs> Stuff like this really bothered me. Uh, a big disappointment was the entire Renegade storyline with the accompanying Lost Army and Edge of Oblivion. Here is another example of wasted opportunities. Black Hand could turn planets to stone, but was fairly easily dispatched. The consequences of the Green Lantern Corps members changing into new colors during Lost Army was unceremoniously dropped. The White Lantern Corps is created, then ignored. Didn't see Lobo hunting one of them for Sinestro. Probably because he doesn't know they exist. Uh... Parallax returns and runs away like a scared child. I could go on. I don't know what to make of a Mega Man since I couldn't get into that book. You're not the only one. Um, that makes it sound like the entire New 52 was a complete failure. It wasn't. There were bright spots like the New Guardians, Guy's time with the Red Lanterns, and almost the entire Sinestro book. It's I agree just, with all three of those. Yes. It's just that too many ideas were never properly explored and too many storylines were drawn out. If I can describe what happens in an issue in a single phrase, Hal places Black Hand into the source wall, then not enough happened in that issue. The characterizations of our heroes were fairly good throughout the New 52. All the Green Lanterns seemed consistent in their personalities no matter who was writing them. But there were some definite problems. All those flashbacks of John and the Marines were tiresome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was even going to pause and give you time, but luckily I didn't even need to. Uh, we know each other well. Sympatico, man. Carol and Kyle having a relationship felt bizarre. Darlene was the most annoying, sentient ship ever, etc. Even more than HAL 9000. Uh, Reflecting on what I've written here, I'm surprised my feelings about the New 52 seem so negative. I suppose that downward slide over the last year has affected my views about the entire era. So those are the thoughts that I can rattle off quickly for you to review. I hope they are helpful. Thanks for the continuing to make this podcast. Best wishes, Laurel. You're welcome. That's a great email. And for those of you thinking that email was too long, we asked... For your commentary on the New 52 era of Green Lantern. And clearly we don't care how long it is. So let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> well, we ask for emails. We mean it. <laughs> Send us whatever you want. We're looking for your commentary. 
And it's and it, it's actually good to be reminded of some all the things that happened in the new well, all the things in the new fifty two in general. I mean, obviously, just looking at her email, she did mention some of the she mentioned a lot of the stuff right before lights out and then going forward. And it's it's kind of hard sometimes to remember the stuff even before. I mean, uh, before uh, Wrath of the Wrath of the First Lantern, Third Army going forward from lights out and then to the end. Kind of hard sometimes to remember all the stuff that happened even before we got to Wrath of the First Lantern and, you know, the getting the Indigo Tribe secrets and the whole Sinestro Hal buddy-buddy thing again. You know, forced buddy-buddies, but still. It's, it's, it's hard, especially with, especially with the actual Green Lantern. I mean, it may be true for the core book, too, but for Green Lantern especially, it's hard because it's really, you can clearly separate the John's era and the post-John's era, and there really isn't a... There's a clear difference. There's a clear differences in which part was more successful. Just in the New 52 era, I'm talking about, not even before. And I, I, I like Core under Van Jensen, so I, I think that worked both. I think that worked both ways. I kind of maybe I like Van Jensen's run maybe even a little better. I think so. But. Um, another email from Shane Go says uh, Al- titled Alan Scott reprints. Hi guys, I enjoyed the dramatization of Alan Scott's origin story that you shared in episode 255. A lot of people actually like that. We had a, a couple of people on Twitter go like, what? This exists? And immediately hit up eBay. <laughs> you mentioned that not much of Alan's 1940s material had been reprinted other than in the two archive editions, and that's true, but there are random stories printed in other collections. Here are places I found some more Alan Scott stories. I don't have them in front of me to give you exact issues, but from memory, the greatest Golden Age stories ever told hardcover. This reprints a story with the icicle from late in Alan Scott's run. Green Lantern's 75th anniversary volume contains three GL stories, Alan's origin, a story from Comic Cavalcade number six, and Streak the Wonder Dog's first appearance. DC's Most Wanted, a miniseries that I found a few issues of in the back issue bin, one of which reprinted the first issue of Solomon Grundy. Sometimes random stories were reprinted in the 100-page Giants of the 1970s, I think both Detective Comics and Green Lantern, sometimes at Alan Scott reprints. And, of course, the 12-volume All-Star reprint series has a lot of Golden Age Alan Scott material. The fir- he first turns up in issue 2, is made chairman of the JSA in issue 7, and is then gone from around issue 8 to 24, I think. But after that, he's in the book until it ends with issue 57. All-Star and the Golden Age Green Lantern archives are the only place to get a long consecutive runs of Alan's story, sadly. I'd definitely like to see DC publish more Golden Age archives. Keep up the good work, and thanks for sharing, Shane. Good information. Yeah, 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 good info. Um, It it would be nice if they would reprint some of that stuff. I kind of doubt they will. Um, until something significant happens for them, people to look into that material and decide that they want to spend it. You know, there's got to be something out there that drives people to search for that material, and it doesn't seem like a lot of stuff's going to be happening with Alan anytime soon. However, they are teasing bringing back the original JSA, so, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe Alan will be a focus of that, and maybe it'll just be Johnny Thunder like it was in uh, the Rebirth special. I don't know. But speaking of reprints, that's something that hit me the other day. What if we finally get a Ragman trade? <laughs> You'll be in your glory, Chad. I will. We won't hear from Chad for weeks. I'll be too busy rereading and rereading. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've got all the issues, but man, uh, I would love to see a 
remastered version of that because don't they like recolor that stuff? Like nine times out of ten, they recolor it because I, I I I got a what's what's the trade I got? Um, Black Lightning. I got a Black Lightning trade. I think that was of his uh, solo series from the seventies. Was it the seventies that he had his first solo series? It would probably make sense. I, th- I think it was the seventies. But that stuff, I mean, it's it's an older out of print trade. I got it at a half price books uh, for like five bucks or something. But I'd heard you know good things about it, so I p- I picked it up. And it's an out of print trade, so it's not like they just recently made it. But it too was recolored. So you know, it's just it, it'd be so cool because every time I pick up an old issue of Ragman, you know, it's like. It's on that old newsprint, so you know the colors are faded and stuff like that. No matter how good the, of condition the, the comic book is in, it's on newsprint, and it's 30, 40 years old at this point. So it's it's definitely faded. So I'd love to see, like, I don't know, I'd just like to see it. You know, maybe they print, like, uh, you know, because they usually do, like, a little letter letter from the editor at the yes. start of some of those trades. Somebody who was involved in the process or is a big fan of the character or something like that. I'd love to see who it would be and what they say and what issues they decide to include. Do they just do the original uh, five issues, five or six issues? Do they include some of the Brave and the Bold stories? Do they include the story from Batman Family uh, number eleven? Like, you know, there's, you know, is 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 the original series enough for a trade or do we want a bigger trade and add some of like all the main pre-crisis appearances? You know, that kind of stuff. I'd, I'd like to see them do that. And I've talked about on my blog what what I think a good first trade would be uh, would involve, but I'm rambling now. You got we, I, I went off on Ragman again. I'm sorry, guys. That was last that was last episode. Well, I won't do that. <laughs> it, it'll be every episode. Come on, Chad. <laughs> well, after the new season of Arrow starts, yes. <laughs> Ragman forever! Speaking of live action. Speaking of live action, uh, as we're recording this, this is right before... Today's about the second, August second, I believe. Yeah. Uh, depending so, on where we are. Depending on where, <laughs> yeah, at the for, for both of us right now, it's still August second. <laughs> Getting close. March fifteen minutes away. <laughs> yes, Tuesday, August second. It's still, it still is. So, today was the day. Uh, apparently, just based on the fact that I checked this morning and there were none, and now it's all over. There's tons of them. But I guess the the movie review embargo on Suicide Squad must have been uh, lifted today because we now have, at least on Rotten Tomatoes, we now have 66 reviews for, on Suicide Squad. And if people were expecting Suicide Squad to be the big critical hit that DC could desperately need, uh, they're not going to get it from this movie. <laughs> As we speak, it is 35% on Rotten Tomatoes, 23 fresh, 43 rotten. Uh, they must... They clearly must have. They must feel confident that nothing's going to change dramatically because they already have a critics' consensus. And I, I was kind of surprised that that would, that it basically would be certifi- certified a dud already at this point. Because I think they were like, I checked it. I think there were like almost like 300 or, or maybe more reviews for Batman versus Superman. So, which actually just shows you how bad the reviews were. That there was a huge number of reviews, and the percentage never really changed. It still ended up, I think, like a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, I, I don't think it's realistic that this movie is going to change all that much. Maybe if it's lucky, it could go up to around 40-ish if it really starts changing. Still tracking to do good money. Let's see if the reviews hurt the box office, since they seem to hurt Batman versus Superman's box office. But 
DC, obviously, if they were hoping for a double whammy of a really good f- first weekend box office, but finally getting a DC movie, a cinematic universe movie that really was received well by the critics, they're not going to get it. Now, I guess the next best thing is to see how the fans react to it. Are the fans going to like this movie despite what the critics say? And then combined with good box office, it'll help them a lot. Kind of put them back on track. Or are people going to react to this movie like they did with Batman vs. Superman, where they more or less echo what the critics said, and it's divisive? If it is, that's that's def- definitely not good news for DC. Uh, it doesn't kill them, because no one was thinking Suicide Squad would rehabilitate their fortunes either way, though obviously you'd rather have a hit than a double whammy hit, box office and success, uh, critical success, having that both both guns in your holsters going into Wonder Woman, but now they just kind of hope that they make the fans happy and they make a good amount of money on opening weekend. So I thought that was worth sharing, and then kind of probably maybe not coincidentally going hand in hand with this, uh, like a week, like a week or so ago, we found out that Jeff Johns, who seems to get promoted every week, <laughs> that now Jeff Johns is te- besides being chief creative officer of DC Entertainment, he is also you know he is now president and chief creative officer. So supposedly he's still not on the top of the food chain because I guess as one article nicely put it, Warner Brothers has presidents like Marvel has Captain America's, <laughs> but he's still he's still definitely higher up now than he was, and seemingly seemingly will be even more of a factor in steering the ship, as certainly as far as probably the cinematic universe is going. And maybe this was the, maybe the timing was not coincidental because of the fact that maybe they, again. Maybe they kind of had a feeling this movie was not going to, from a critical point of view, still not going to do what they wanted to do. Maybe. Kind of certainly would feed the narrative, which we kind of suspected all along, that when they went back and did the reshoots, it wasn't because, oh, yeah, we love the movie so much, we wanted more. Like the narrative that what, what, what David Ayers or whatever wanted to give us, and what the director wanted to give us about why they were doing the reshoots. It may have been that they were trying to tweak a movie that they still thought wasn't going to work, but was hoping they could make it better. We don't know, but either way, at this point, it's up in the air to see how fans will react to Suicide Squad, and it's also be curious to see if the reviews have any kind of negative effect on the box office, but I figured I would share, we would throw that out for discussion briefly since we had the time today, and it is timely again since it's right before the movie's about to open. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it plays out for them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> ESPN, the Ocho. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge, dodge a ball. ball. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Pepper needs new shorts. <laughs> a lot of people in D.C. might need new shorts because it looks like they're, they're going to be shitting their pants again. <laughs> it's just... I, I can't say I'm surprised by this, by the reviews. I was... I kind of was. I thought it might be better. I, I mean, certainly right now it's better than Batman versus Superman, which yes, it's a very low bar. I mean, Batman versus Superman was on Green Lantern level from a critical point of view. Uh, but it's it, it's it's certainly not what Warner Brothers would like. Let's be. I mean, there's no doubt well, about that. Well, here's the deal. You te- you had sent me a Facebook message about it. And the only reason I didn't really respond to it. It was just because, and it had nothing to do with you. It was just the fact that I, I just don't care. Like I'm gonna go see it anyways. I don't care what the critics say beforehand. Like I, I, 
I, it's a su- it's a live action Suicide Squad movie. I told this to some some coworkers, I think just yesterday, as a matter of fact, that the Batman versus Superman movie could have had Jack Black as Batman and Morgan Freeman as Superman, and I'd still have gone to see it because it's a live action Batman versus Superman movie. It's kind of the same thing with me when it's like things like Suicide Squad, the Justice League movie, and Wonder Woman, like. You can tell me up and down that it sucks, it's going to be horrible, don't even bother, but I don't give a shit. I'm going to go see it anyways. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, anything else? Something like I'm on the fence about, a movie that I'm just kind of curious about? You know, let's, like, Gods of Egypt. Okay? I was curious about that. I'm probably going to see it, but whether or not I see it in theaters or on home video is really up to what the reaction for it is. And that particular one, I waited for home video because I had two free tickets. You know, I get free tickets all the time now, but these days. But it, it, I had uh, nothing to do one day, so I wanted to go. I went to go see two movies. I think I went to go see Zootopia, and then like I was going to do a double feature. I was going to walk out of Zootopia and then go see Gods of Egypt. Well, I couldn't go see Zoo, uh, Gods of Egypt because they wouldn't do technically a free i mean it was for me but it's technically a free employee ticket for an empty theater <laughs> yeah i remember you said that actually so so they wouldn't show me the 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 gods of egypt so that really told me quite a lot about that movie i've since seen it now that it's been released and you know it was mildly entertaining you know i it's it's you know it's, it is what it is but you know something like that you know, maybe I'll rely on the critics, but something like Suicide Squad, where I'm pro, like 99% already sold that I'm going to be in the theater watching this movie, I don't need to hear the critics bitching and complaining about it beforehand. Like, it's 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 kind of like I don't know. It's just adding to the noise of the of the internet. <laughs> you know, the the I've already got enough negativity right now with the presidential stuff heating up so i don't i don't need more of it because i'm i am gonna go see it i mean i'm gonna go see it like uh, uh rotten tomatoes or anybody could say oh it's it's it sucks don't even bother but like i don't know like i i was already going to go see it why do i care <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, but the, to be fair, you're more interested in movies than I am, and I and I don't mean the plot and everything. I just the the filmmaking process and the box office scores. Just in general, you're more interested in movies than I am. So I can see why things like you know the the reviews, the critiques from certain sources, and things like that, the embargoes and on reviews and the process and the marketing and stuff. I see I see how that could interest you. But I'm not as into all that, so all I take it on as is just, you know, is it going to affect me wanting to go see the movie, yes or no? No, I know, I, I know what you're saying, and for some, and it's not going to have a huge effect on everyone. It will, it, critics tend, they do tend to have the effect, more, more likely to have the effect on people, like you said, that are kind of on the fence about it, who don't have a strong feeling one way or the other. That if it's a movie, if it's something, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, whether it's a show, that maybe they had a little bit of interest in, or they heard of, but they didn't have any kind of, you know, yay or nay. If a lot of people say, oh, it's really, really good, that will make it. 
increase or that'll increase the odds that people might want to go see it then because like ah, okay I'll give it a shot if everybody says uh everybody says it's good it's uh kind of like how that's how some movies transcend even their genre and become like event movies like when the Avengers kind of did that yeah obviously they had a huge built-in audience for the Avengers but it's not just it was the concept which made it an event movie, and then once the reviews were really, really good, that probably brought in some people that certainly would normally not go see a superhero movie or hadn't to that point, but because it was something different. But it cut. But on the casual fan, it does have, I think, the average moviegoer, not a, the diehard DC or comic book fan, it can have an influence because we know it had an influence on the box office for Batman versus Superman. So and. And where this movie's gonna, I hadn't, I as I didn't see anything updated as far as what the projections were for this movie. Obviously, on Thursday, the, as we get closer to Thursday, the uh, the projections or the about what they think it's gonna do over the weekend. I, I, I mean, it's like somewhere between I think like anywhere between like 95 and like 120, 125 was the range I think they were looking at, depending on what source you read and how old the article is. So the, so the interesting thing would be if if this has an effect on roll, rolling it back a little bit and also to see once – because the, to me what's also interesting is fans once again are starting to react the same way they did versus Batman versus Superman. Oh, this boy, uh, the, the boycott Rotten Tomatoes. Run, this closed down Rotten Tomatoes because critics are saying something bad about a movie you don't like. And it's like, yeah, it could just be a, a – they could – it could be a conspiracy, just like it could be. Oh, it's not their cup of tea, but it's really hard. And I know, and I, and Jim, I know, tends to, I think, go down this road too. But, but I disagree. That I find it hard to believe that there's a massive anti-DC conspiracy against against their comic book movies when so many other comic book movies don't have a problem getting positive reviews. <laughs> you know, Deadpool was not a movie critics should have been going should have been excited to see. That was a movie that you would think critics would hate for multiple reasons. Even without seeing it, they would want to go in not to like it, but they let, but it got a really good score. All the Marvel movies don't, don't get good scores because oh, people just, it's Marvel, we'll give them a pass. I mean, not besides not every Marvel movie has had great score. Excuse me, great cool. scores. The Thor movie, like Thor, especially you know Dark World and stuff, that didn't get great, didn't do great. Incredible Hulk didn't do great. Nor did, yeah. great, nor did it great, do great box office, The Incredible Hulk. That was that's that's pretty much that's along with Ant Man was one of the, the least successful DC, I mean Marvel Cinematic Universe movies from a from a box office point of view. Ant Man obviously was much better received critically. And yeah, I, I don't trust I don't trust Rotten Tomatoes to begin with, anyways. Just, just like right now, I'm on their website. Sharknado, eighty two percent. You know, I don't. For real, <laughs> for real. <laughs> Just is that the new one or the, ori- or the original? The original. You're right. It is eighty-two <laughs> percent. So like, but but to be fair, there's only seventeen reviews. There's only seventeen reviews. I'm not saying it steals all of their credibility, but I mean. Come on. <laughs> and, for, and let's be fair, for Sharknado, it's a pretty low bar. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, if you don't turn it off in five minutes, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, it was much better than I thought. <laughs> so sometimes there's no doubt when it comes to, just like when we watch movies ourselves, the expectation game does factor into this. 
the higher your expectation, it does make it much harder for you to come out feeling satisfied. If you go in expecting something to be absolute crap, even if it's still crap, but not quite the level of it's only one pound of monkey crap instead of the three pounds you thought it was going to be, <laughs> then you might think it's okay. It wasn't so bad. But you can still, I mean, obviously you're, and the thing, the real thing, the, the moral of the story is it doesn't really, it does not necessarily correlate with box office success. It, it, it doesn't, it's not a disqualifier. It does, but it, it can influence, it can have an effect. But there's no guarantee. I mean, Star Star Trek Beyond it was a, is that is 83 and had a pretty decent opening weekend, but dropped like a rock in week two. You know, and, and Jason Bourne did pretty well for you know second I think biggest opening of a Jason Bourne movie, but that's only at 57 percent. So, is a new Bourne movie out? Yeah, it came out last week. Shit. You didn't see it advertised? They they advertised the hell out of it. I don't watch live TV anymore. Ah, that'll do it. Plus, you didn't see the see it in the in the movies with, on the, the trailer. But either way, yeah, it just came out. So, yeah, it doesn't. You could have good reviews. You could, we we know that a lot of movies get good reviews, and then depending on how how they're released and the market, nobody goes to see it. So, the moral of the story probably for this is, I would assume Suicide Squad is going to have a pretty damn good opening weekend. It's probably not going to have a huge hold. I would be surprised. Uh, it, luckily for it, I think it helps that it opened after Jason Bourne, and that Jason Bourne didn't do great. You know, he did like 59.3 on its opening weekend, so you know, even just by normal box office tracking, it would probably do around half of that, or a little bit better than half if it had a, if it had a good hold. So it's probably better for Suicide Squad that there's not too many big, big movies left to come out. But... It'll do. I think it'll do well. I just don't think it's going to be the panacea that maybe a lot of people were hoping for. But if people really like it, despite the critics, and that's the thing people always kind of were missing about. And I'll wrap this up because I don't want to go on much longer. Uh, that's what some of the the, the critics the critics of the critics always missed out when it came to Batman versus Superman. Was it wasn't just the critics saying the movie wasn't good. The, you had at least at least half the fans were saying, "Yeah, this movie stunk." You know, Chad and I were kind of more like in the middle about it, but a lot of people said, "Oh, this movie was just really, it just did not work. It was really too slow." I was really, you know, so it wasn't just the critics giving it crappy scores. The fans really echoed that. So that's what the difference is with Suicide Squad. We don't know what the fans are going to do yet. We don't know how the fans are going to react to it. But if the fan, but if the fans react to it the same way they did to Batman versus Superman. Then there's a problem. Then there's a problem. Then then even putting the Band-Aid on it, making a decent amount of money, even if you end up making money on the project, it's still, you now would have had three movies in this universe with really relatively low scores, though Man of Steel was okay. I think Man of Steel was like around 59, 56 on Rotten Tomatoes. But then you had two movies that are not that are like potentially under 40. So that's 40% on Rotten Tomatoes and just... That's why that's where it becomes tricky if you're looking at the universe as a whole. But we'll know we'll know more next week. We'll know more about absolutely next time Chad and I record. We'll know how much it you know what it actually did box office wise and what the fa- well, more what fans think at this point. But we'll see. All right, want to close this out? I reckon so. Yes, uh, so you'd like to contact us, lanterncast at gmail.com, lanterncast at gmail.com. Visit lanterncast.com, see our Dark Star 
issue reviews, Ring Cyclopedia episodes, which we're way overdue on, uh, blogs, all our episodes are there. Uh, that's a good place to catch up with us in general, along with Facebook. And in, speaking of which, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are on all of those. Hashtag GLCast to find us there. iTunes and Stitcher, we are on both. Please leave us positive reviews on any or any platform that you listen to us on. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.